ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again, broadcasting almost live from a secure bunker deep beneath an old TCBY, it's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is my co-host and mini golf caddy, Tyler Crawley. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I, li- I like the almost live. Or it, it reminded me of that like George Carlin skit where he goes off on the use of preheated and thinks that or, or just the whole prefix pre. And he's like, there's only, you know, preheated oven is the stupidest term ever. He's like, there's either, you know, ovens in two states, heated or unheated. <laughs> Not and, right, yeah. and, and almost live to me sounds that's great, right? It's like almost live there's only two things live and not live <laughs> but i like almost live it's it's one of those words that you can just throw anywhere well i felt like we needed to to kind of you know kind of formalize an introduction because every week i just stare at the screen blankly not really knowing what to say and that was that was what i came up with that's good i like it you should and, stick with it yeah, I think I will. You know, I think we'll go with it from now on out and we'll, uh, you know, as long as we keep this streak alive, because to be honest, we're weeks in a row. I know. I've lost count. I can't. My, I don't have enough fingers to catch. Ca- well, actually, I think we're, we're like, what, six, five or six, five or six. Okay. Easy. So, but well, I couldn't I can't even count it on one hand. I we tried hard so this week, though. We tried hard not to have it. That's true. That's true. I was I was doing everything in my power to try and not do it. But. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Uh, can't escape it. And speaking of not being able to escape things, on Monday, President Donald Trump announced a new NAFTA deal. And it had a really dumb name, which is kind of weird because they've been working on it for like a year. And Donald Trump's like king of the you know PR and he had the dumbest name ever. So we're just going to call it crooked capitalism. And it set more quotas, more tariffs. And interestingly enough, kind of like a North American minimum wage, you know, all the things that free market conservatives love. And then on Tuesday, chief economist advisor Larry Kudlow said the administration was looking at stronger regulations uh, on Google because the president had Googled himself at five o'clock in the morning and did not like the results. Kevin, how long before the Trump administration starts arguing that it's not about free markets, it's about fair markets, and joins up with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in creating a socialist utopia? How awesome of a super group would that be? Like Trump and OC uh, 2020, I guess that's the next presidential election. The minds in the, would be blown because then the people on the far right and left would both realize that they are stems of the same tree. Right. Yes. That they, we're going they actually for? agree and they have the exact same economic outlook and we can stop. They can stop hating each other and we can all come together and sing Kumbaya. And it was, it was weird. If they were both on the same ticket, uh, they both would have the same knowledge of the U.S. Constitution, which is, I think, zero. So it, it would be good, <laughs> you know, because it's kind of embarrassing when one person knows more than the other. They both don't know anything. So it worked out. Be, pretty good. Who would be the opposing ticket? That's what I want to know. The opposing, ooh, I don't know. That's interesting. Hillary again, of course, because well, yeah, <laughs> Hillary would have to be on there. And then I guess was it, was, who's another really big loser? Uh, <laughs> is Walter Mondale still alive? No, he's not. Dukakis probably get Dukakis. Get Clinton and Dukakis could run against the Trump Ocasio Cortez ticket. I think that'd be pretty cool. This, you know, that might be ultimate end of the world scenario right there. That's when I would actually not not like all the people who said they were going to move to Canada if Trump got elected. But I well, Canada's cold. Where where can we move? That would be more palatable to my. Oh, I wouldn't leave. I would stay right here. 
I mean, where, you think that would be the that'd be the greatest thing like, every day to watch him fight about immigration within the own administration. Like Trump would be like, they're sneaking over the border and sending us their rapists. And then she'd be talking about how we need open borders. And, and it, would, oh, it would be great. It would be like the <laughs> it would be it would be what we're seeing right now. I mean, it'd be horrible for the country. Yes. But for media, it'd be the greatest thing ever. So I, I would stay because our would, ratings they, would be amazing. They would be the new Felix and Oscar, the odd couple. Yeah, that's this true. Could, this could be entertaining. And Too bad that I, guy was it Neil Simon just died. You know, he could have written the script for the new odd couple, but unfortunately, that's not going to happen now. Hey, do you think that President Trump would go by a script? Are you kidding me? They're going to ad lib it. They're going to have <laughs> Bill O'Reilly come in and do it live. And um, <laughs> what, what, what if he just pulled in Bill O'Reilly as press secretary? I don't think he's doing anything these days. That's true. Well, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have to pull her in. I mean, he he'd have to. He could bring him in, and then uh, he would then make some horrible, disgusting, disgusting, crude remarks to Sarah Sanders. And then she would just quit. So it'd be like that. Remember House of Cards when they brought the press secretary in, and the other guy just quit. That's how they could avoid the whole situation. Is just bring Bill O'Reilly in, and he would. There's no doubt he would get drunk one night and call Sarah Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and say the nastiest things ever to her. And then she would quit after that. So it would, it, it's a way they could handle it. You just assumed that he would have to be drunk to do that. And I think that's a very unfair statement. That's true. Um, and do you watch Trump's live events and just get purely entertained? I've gotten to the point now where maybe, you know, what's the, there's different stages of grieving. And I've gotten to the point now where it's really funny to hear some of the stuff that he says on live national television. Like today, he met with the FIFA chairman. And was this lady was from Brazil and he said, you know, how awful Brazil was in the World Cup this year. <laughs> and, like, does he hear himself talk? It's 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 really all I can do is laugh at this point. Yes. Well, no, I, I will admit that well it was very disappointing was last week when he had that big rally after all that news came out, and the rally was very underwhelming. Very underwhelming. And I thought maybe he lost a little mojo, but I will agree with you that his his off the cuff remarks when it's like, like, did you see the phone call yesterday? He's trying to make with the president of Mexico. I can only imagine that was, I, I mean, not. it was like him trying to work the phone. And he's like, hello, wait, hold on. What's going on? <laughs> and he got the translator <laughs> on. And then, I mean, it, it, it was, you couldn't, people were putting like curb your enthusiasm music behind it and veep music behind it. It's like anything worked. <laughs> and, and it just, it was, it was just, it was pure magic. And to that, I will always be thankful for Donald Trump. Yeah. Now, I mean, free market capitalism and conservatism and kind of wrecking that, not so much, but laughing and, and sort of enjoying and being like, I can't believe it's sort of like, I remember one time Jerry Seinfeld told a joke about how when you're in the backseat of a cab, no matter what your cab driver does, you're, you feel like it's, you know, it's, you're not actually, it's not real. It's like you're watching it on a TV screen. Like, wow. Like he's like driving up a one way street and you're like, oh, I would never do that in my car. This is crazy. <laughs> and like, you don't, you don't feel in danger. And like, I feel like that's the same way. Like when Trump does this stuff, like any other time I, we'd be freaking out that the president of the United States were making these off the cover remarks. But when it's Trump, you're like, <laughs> wow, I'd be so, I'd be, I'd be terrified if he was actually our president, <laughs> but it's, it's like, it doesn't feel real half the time. So it's, it's very bizarre. No, it, it, it doesn't feel real at all. And it's, like I said, it's, it's gotten really entertaining and it's like you just said, so he's talking about Google right now. He's, he's not happy with the search results when he Googled himself, because let's face it, that's what presidents do, right? They Google them. Absolutely. 
at five o'clock in the morning or when he still gets Google alerts. <laughs> His phone must be dead by like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> there is no way he knows how to set up a Google alert. No, that's way. true. That's true. No way possible. Um, but it, you know, I think he might have a little bit of a point because PJ media, which is a right leaning news outlet recently conducted an actual study of Google news. And so what they did is they typed in the word Trump into Google News and recorded the first 100 entries that came up on the screen. And here's what they found. Uh, The top result out of the 100 was CNN had 21 articles show up. Washington Post had 11. NBC had 11. So on and so forth, all the way down to the only um, right-leaning option was the Wall Street Journal. And they had three out of the 100 articles that came up about Trump. And not a single right-leaning news source was even featured on the first page of results. You know, is this simply a case of media manipulation or is it really something more? Is Google trying to control the minds of everyone through their search results? Tyler, which is worse, corporate control of the news or fascist control of the internet? Oh, definitely fascist control of the internet (laughs) because at least corporate control, there's still elements of free market uh, where, I mean, that's why newspapers are going out of business and, and you're seeing complete disruption and destruction and the creative destruction that we always hear about with capitalism. It's taking place. And are people making good decisions or bad decisions? You know, we can debate that, but they're making decisions and that's what's causing the, the changes uh, versus the government making the decision. Cause that's, that never goes well. That's, that's always going to end horribly for the citizens uh, because that's, you know, that's sort of what I was joking about with the fair markets and the free markets is there's no such thing as fair. Like fair doesn't exist. We, for some reason we've become obsessed with this word fair. Fair doesn't exist. Free is all that exists and that's it. And you're always going to have, and things are always going to be unfair. That's why, that's why we always used to say, yeah, you know, you know, that's not fair. Welcome to the world. You know, welcome to the real world. That's that's how things are. Life's not fair. And yet now everyone's like talking about fair. And so you're never going to have fairness. But interestingly enough, looking at that article, though, what worries me is how bad some right wing media outlets are. Like some of the right wing outlets are like Infowars and Gateway Pundit. And uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Daily Caller, they're borderline, but or and Breitbart. I mean, it's, there's a lot of worrisome conservative outlets. Like we all like to make fun of you know the Washington Post and the New York Times for having this this bias, but there's still better institutions than like Gateway Pundit. <laughs> like, and I don't know how we solve that problem. That's the problem that we have to solve. Is there are not way too many conservative outlets like daily caller at one point I thought was great. And it's slowly turned very clickbaity. Uh, and Breitbart's gone way too activist and you don't have institutions uh, like the wall street journal would probably be a good example. Um, that's probably somewhat right wing and that's probably the best example, but there's not enough of them. They're all, they're all activists. And then you have the other ones, and and so that's that's the real problem with media, is that there are not a, there are not many good right wing leaning media institutions out there. Unfortunately, no. I think you're exactly right. And as someone who used to work for a self proclaimed conservative newspaper media outlet, um, you know, I've always said it wasn't enough to just be contrary. 
And I think that's where we got where we are now. That, that's how Trump happens, because you have all of the major news outlets, like you said, I mean, New York Times, WAPO, um, pretty much anything that's mainstream is very left leaning. I mean, the science has proven if you interview uh, journalists and what political party they're affiliated with, um, go into the journalism schools and, and, and observe the slant. Like it's, it's the way it goes. Um, so then conservative outlets just tend to be, well, I'm going to push back against all of this instead of saying, I'm going to report fairly from the conservative viewpoint. It's, it's more of a calling of fighting back against the the quote liberal media. I mean, that's that's why you have Trump. You know, fake news. Well, what is real news, and what, what's what's the alternative? Because really and truthfully, I mean, other than Wall Street Journal, I mean, you've got a couple of respectable options like maybe the Economist, National Review off this list, uh, Forbes, uh, which are actual. They have some integrity and institution to them. But like you said, yeah. everything else on this list is just a blog of of opinion. That's that's all it is. I mean, you go through all of these. I mean, like you mentioned Infowars, when you have um, Hot Air and Drudge, which are basically aggregators. I mean, they're not creating mm-hmm. content. Um, you know, World News Daily and OAN and all, all these crazy options out there. So, I mean, in short – what I think that the issue really truthfully is, is I don't think Google is up to anything nefarious. I think that they are literally presenting what people want to find. And everyone on the left wants to find left-leaning news. And most people on the right want to yell about left-leaning news. So that means 75% of search results should be slanted one way. I mean, I, th- I think that's how it boils down. I remember one person said this, and this is funny coming from me, but someone said that people on the left want to be who's a Dan rather. Well, that's probably a bad example. <laughs> people on the left want to be Walter Cronkite and people on the, or people on the left want to be Walter Cronkite. People on the right want to be Rush Limbaugh. And so what happens is, is that people who are good at communication, people who are, and you know, could make it tend to go into the commentary side. And then you have all these journalists who end up going on the, now there are some good right-wing journalists, I think though. Uh, for example, uh, Haley Bird, who writes for the Weekly Standard, she's pretty good. And uh, even in North Carolina, Nick Oshner, who uh, I don't want to say he's Republican. I don't know what he is, but he definitely has no problem going after the Cooper administration, which is something that you don't see very often in North Carolina. uh, No, not at all. So I would say maybe he would fall into that category. So you do see it out there. But there's so many people in the journalism schools, they're they're left leaning and that's what they want to be. They want to be you know, a news anchor, they want to be a reporter and a lot of people on the right, you know, they want to be talk show hosts, you know, like I said, kind of funny coming from me because that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) And that's what I am doing right now. All right. Now, speaking of North Carolina, a federal court struck down North Carolina's congressional maps Monday night, calling it unconstitutional partisan gerrymander and throwing the state's house election into uncertainty 10 weeks before the general election. But have no fear. The courts have a suggestion. The courts have raised the option of candidates running in general election districts that were different than the ones in which their primaries were held. That sounds constitutional. But the judges also floated the possibility that the state could instead hold primaries on November the 6th, Election Day, and then hold a special general election contest at a later date to be determined. However, it would have to be before January so they could be seated uh, when the new Congress starts. So Kevin, 
Would it not just be easier if we just forgo the election and give the Democrat Party control of the state? Because clearly that's what the courts want to do. And they're just too afraid. Yeah, to say I it. mean, I think that's what we should do. Just turn everything back over and um, and have, you know, there should be a clause where it just says everything that has happened in the last eight years is immediately undone and give them two years and see what happens. Because people have very short memories. Yeah. They don't remember what things were like before Republicans took over or even and I'm not even talking about policy necessarily. Let's look at the maps and shameless plug here. If you go to tavernvoices.com somewhere in the interwebs of the site, there is an article that we put up that had um, a fun little quiz to, to see if you could tell what is gerrymandered and what's not. And if you look at maps over the last 30 years here in the state of North Carolina, eight years of Republican control, 22 years of Democrat control, you can't tell what's what. And in fact, a lot of people think that the more gerrymandered looking maps are the ones under Democrats. Uh, Roy Cooper has had to fight these same court challenges, um, you know, all, all the way up the ladder due to maps that they had put out. So, I mean, it's such a mess. Um, you know, Republicans won on Democrat maps. Democrats can probably win on Republican maps. Um, to say that the American voter is boiled down to where they live and that defines them politically. And I, I just it drives me crazy. I wrote a long article about it. I don't know what your question was anymore, but it's it's nonsense. And until the courts say this is what's fair and this is what's not fair, you can't keep saying, well, this isn't good enough, but we're not going to tell you what the metric of success is. Well, what's weird is that they have decided this. I, I mean, Cromartie too was the case that Roy Cooper was involved in when he was actually in charge of redistricting, and they were charged with racial gerrymandering. Which, by the way, the term gerrymander is from 1812. So we coined that term in the early 19th century. And if you think about it, how long we, we've been doing it since we started. Uh, and I also want to dispel the myth that Republicans can't win unless they cheat and draw the maps. We won. The Republicans won <laughs> after 100 years of gerrymandering. The Democrats did such a bad job that the Republicans were able to win. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense to argue that the Republicans can only – well, they had to win at some point with maps they didn't draw because they haven't – They you know they weren't in power for 100 years. But Cooper goes to the Supreme Court and their char- he's, you know, he's, he has to defend a racial gerrymander. And the courts went, oh, no, no, it's OK because – uh, they actually made the correlation between black voters who overwhelmingly vote Democrat and said that it wasn't really a racial gerrymander. It was a, a partisan gerrymander and they allowed it. And so then the Republicans did it and they went, oh, that's racist. You can't do that. Those are gone. And they went, but you let them. Yeah, but it's different because you're Republican. Democrats did it you know, for altruistic reasons and you guys did it for awful reasons. And so they couldn't do that. So they said, OK, fine. We're going to draw them for partisan. And they went, you can't do that. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, you can't say it's okay when Democrats do it and then it's not okay when Republicans do it and the Supreme Court has to decide on this. They punted three cases last term. They they, they got to stop or they have to make it very clear that this is a state issue and the Supreme Court is not going to take it up. But this like punting BS, no, because it, it it's causing massive problems. And here's the bigger problem. They can appeal to the Supreme Court, which nine times out of ten – would say, okay, we're three weeks until, I mean, there's two months until a general election. We're not going to let you change the maps. There's a four to four split. Kennedy's gone. So if there's a tie on whether or not they take this case or, or issue a stay, it, the lower court ruling stands. 
So, I mean, this is a huge mess. And the Supreme Court has to make a decision because this this ambiguity on gerrymandering, which, by the way, like I said, it's not ambiguity because they've ruled in the past that they can do it. They have to definitively say it so we can move on because it's not only wreaking havoc here, but Maryland. uh, Where's the other place? Uh, Wisconsin. There's other places that this this challenge continues to happen and they got to make a ruling. No, you're you're completely right. And and when you pointed out just now, um, isn't isn't Maryland's case where Democrats are the ones accused of gerrymandering? Yeah. So it's it's not a partisan issue. And yes, there are some egregious examples. I mean, if you look at the district that used to run up the I eighty five corridor around Charlotte, or was it I seventy seven? I can't remember. One of the vertical interstates. Um, that congressional district was awfully gerrymandered under Democrats here. Um, things are much more cohesive now at least, but, um, but yeah, I mean, here's, here's what I think. I was talking to someone about this earlier today and I said, you know, the Republicans in North Carolina, they've had their challenges that have been self-inflicted. We've talked about them here. You know, there's a lot of Mm. battles that they've had to fight that are in spite of the fact that all of the economic policies have been phenomenal here. The tax reform, the fiscal shape that our state is in is so far better than it was eight years ago. But they've had to fight all these other issues of HB2 popping up. I mean, that wasn't something that they wanted to pick a fight about. Um, And then, you know, to the next subject we're going to jump into here in a little bit about statues. Like, that's really what they want to deal with right now. But, But regardless of that... You know, no matter what they do, they're going to be fought and the courts are going to keep causing trouble. I mean, they kicked out two constitutional amendments. They're trying to overturn the maps. I mean, at some point you have to say, okay, we're going to set out some some exact standards, but we're not going to do this right. Because, I mean, what what person is going to know 10 weeks before the election that we're changing constitutional amendment descriptions and that the district they vote in might have changed or that these candidates now have to run in a general type election. I mean, I don't know. It it just seems way too absurd for even someone who I consider myself pretty fair minded about all this stuff. Well, and and the only other reason, I mean, you mentioned it's bipartisan, but the only reason that it's getting the attention that it's getting is because Republicans right now still hold the majority of the states uh, for the longest time. Oddly enough, I mean, you go back to when Clinton won, um, you know, people for the long time. It's I mean, it's so funny how politics is cyclical. And so at that time, we'd seen all these Republican presidents and people were like, we're never going to elect a Democrat president ever again. And then Clinton came about and then we saw Clinton win uh, and then, you know, Clinton won. But then they lost the House and they didn't get it back for a long time. And they thought they never win that again. And then, you know, they oddly enough, once again, here we are talking about a year in which the Senate seems like something they're never going to win again. But the House is now all of a sudden, even though. Three years ago, the opposite was being told. And so what's happened on the state level is Democrats used to own all the states and now they don't they don't own any at all. I mean, I mean, they own some, but not a lot. And so the Democrats are freaking out. And so that's why this is a big issue nationally. Now, all of a sudden, we have to all these commissions and, and we have to get all these groups together. And and once, oddly enough, after this election, if the Democrats pick up some state legislatures, we probably won't hear about it anymore. <laughs> so this problem might actually solve itself. But if it doesn't, the Supreme Court has to get involved because it's it's uh, it's it's getting ridiculous at this no, point. No, I, I think that you're exactly right. And and I think it's funny, like we talk about how media tends to be inherently left-leaning. Uh, the courts seem to be inherently left-leaning. Um, you know, that's always been the big warning, activist courts. Um, Mark mm-hmm. Levin's great book. Trump is changing that, though, with uh, Mitch McConnell, cocaine Mitch. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. I know. Right. But now now you've got two Supreme Court appointees here back to back. Well, but I mean, the lower but, courts, yeah. the lower courts, they're putting a lot of Republicans in these. I mean, they're moving at a faster rate than anyone has ever moved. And uh, Trump and McConnell's credit for the most part. I mean, Trump's credit because he's just kind of not really staying. He's kind of staying out of it. And, you know, cocaine Mitch is like, you know, doing a couple of lines and like, bam, 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 bam. And like knocking out the appointment. So also Harry Reid for nuking the judicial appointment. So Harry Reid actually deserves the uh, Republican Lifetime Achievement Award, to be honest with you. Hey, I'm sure that's something he's always wanted. We can mail him a copy. <laughs> um, and well, and I just mentioned it a few minutes ago, talking about battles that the General Assembly here probably hasn't really wanted to wage into. Um, the most recent one is is the big statue issue here. So um, unless you've had your head in the sand, you have probably heard about the destruction of the famous Silent Sam statue at UNC Chapel Hill. About a week ago, a group of bandana-clad, unruly elitists put down their Starbucks lattes and ripped the memorial to the ground. When interviewed, Silent Sam had this to say. Oh, that's right. He's an inanimate object. Tyler, now that they have renamed buildings, torn down statues, and removed pretty much every reference to history from the history department, will college students finally be able to succeed in life without institutional racism holding them back? It's possible. Uh, unfortunately, they seem to have found another. I mean, it's it's they're never going to be satisfied. I mean, now Duke University is facing problems because of a building named after a guy who actually gave a speech at the Silent Sam dedication. And it's just it's the, there needs to be another outrage. There needs to be something for them to be outraged. He donated about. the land yeah. that the two campuses yeah. sitting on. I mean, that that's my question. All this is that if you really believe so strongly that anything that happened in the past is negatively glaring at you now, how can you even set foot on the campus? The land was owned by elite whites at one point. Um, You push Native Americans off the land as well. I'm sure Um, the buildings were built. Um, with people who had, uh, you know, I'm sure there were racists and bigots and everything else that built the buildings, paid for the buildings, went to, I mean, you're talking about a school built on the tuition dollars of the very soldiers who died, who the statue was memorializing. And you have no problem using the facilities, uh, benefiting from the name of the school. Um, but at the same time, somehow all of this is also a major problem. Well, their argument, and I saw this on Twitter today, is that, well, they stole that and it should have been, you know, redistributed, uh, you know, to to black families. And it wasn't until these, you know, the white patriarchy held on to that land. And so that, that him donating that land should have been theirs anyway. And and that's sort of the argument that they're going to make. But no, I mean, I think you're right. I, I, I think that I think they should shut down Duke and, and uh, Chapel Hill and all these other universities and they should all be shut down. And we need to create new schools because the history of these schools, you know, it's kind of like North Carolina. I mean, it's funny that North Carolina is like founded on tobacco money and yet they've pretty much tried to ban tobacco and it's like, yeah, but everything's based on that. And so all the, I mean, John Carr is, or Julian Carr is like one of the founders of Duke. I mean, not one of the founders, but he was instrumental in keeping it alive and, you know, provided the land that moved it to now in Durham. And so you're never going to escape it. And you got to take his name off the building. It's, it's still his school. 
So you got to you got to remove that by getting rid of the school. And if and if they're not willing to do that, then it shows they don't really care that much. And it's really just about like just some superficial art, you know, meaning because there's deeper meaning then the whole institution is problematic and they need to get rid of it. But that they don't actually believe that. This is all superficial. It's just something to get upset about. And I mean, even the Silent Sam statue, I mean, like I said, the dedication ceremony for that statue is pretty horrific. <laughs> I mean, some of the comments that were made, it's like, my gosh, they, someone said that out loud and like people were clapping. It's just, it's crazy to think how different times were back then. But I said, you know, keep the statue up. And then put a statue like next to it, like the first black student that went to UNC Chapel Hill and say that, you know, look, and then people can see how far the university has come. But trying to like pretend that never happened is it is people are still that's not going to do it. You need to let people know that that happened there and then say, hey, here's here's where we came to. I think that's the better way to handle it. Oh, that's exactly how I feel about it. I mean, if you don't talk about that, you're doing an injustice to the injustice that happened. I mean, the whole point about any sort of memorial is to look at the good and the bad, to look at the complex issues. I mean, you don't go to the Vietnam Memorial to, um, you know, to think about the, the, you know, the Gulf of Tonkin or something, right? I mean, you've, you've got to look at the full picture. Here are people who died and you may not agree with the reasons for it. Um, you know, you may not agree with what went on at that time, but we have to remember it because um, it's it's part of what makes us who we are. That's why we have gone down this journey. And if you get rid of all of it, then, you know, I mean, I, I've often wondered if you really did just get rid of the entire history, we just started tomorrow, what, what would then be the next step? What, what would change? What would go on from that point? Because where we are now is, is, is as a result of where we have been. Not to be too existential about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's also very important, too, because it, it also, like I said, I, I think it's more impressive. It's kind of like I remember Mitt Romney. Do you ever watch that documentary on Mitt Romney on Netflix? It was really good. I watched part of it. Yeah. But there was a scene where after, you know, he, he, you could tell this is someone that respected his father tremendously. And I remember he was talking like after his first debate, he did like a great job and he made a comment about like how his dad would have done better. I mean, he really just revered his father. And his argument always was, is that, yeah, I was successful, but I went, you know, my dad went from the bottom to like almost the top. And so I started at the top and went like a little bit higher. So I was like on the 15th floor and I got to the 16th floor and my dad went from the first floor to the 15th floor. And to me, when someone does that, that we look at that and we revere that. We say, that's amazing. That's a great thing. Someone, you know, someone that, that accomplished that. And so I think it's actually more impressive that UNC Chapel Hill has that background. The fact that so many students left the school to go fight in the Civil War and the history in the school does have that sort of racist background. And now you look at that university and I mean, it's it's probably one of the most progressive universities in the country. Now, I don't necessarily think that's a great thing. But it just goes to show you how diverse it is now. And therefore, I meant I want to clarify that I meant I don't think it's a good thing that they're progressive. Diversity's fine. <laughs> I want to make sure to clarify that. Um, but and so I, I think that's even more impressive versus a school that sort of was founded on diversity and just remained diverse. You know, Chapel Hill started in a pretty dark place, arguably, and is now seeing the light. And that is actually more impressive. And so highlighting that progression is far more impressive. And like I said, it's far more impressive. They kind of started at the bottom and worked their way up 
versus a school, you know, like Berkeley or something that's always kind of been, you know, known for, you know, their diversity and all that stuff. It's less oppressive. So I think North Carolina should actually, you know, embrace it and be like, look where we were and look where we came from and look where we are now. Yeah. Started from the bottom. Now I'm here. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point because, I mean, even the university system as a whole, I mean, was founded. I mean, as much as UNC was a public university, like really could anyone just up and move from their agricultural roots in North Carolina yeah. and spend time studying there? It was always a very elitist thing. And to, to be at the point now where, I mean, pretty much anyone can go to college anywhere, right? Um, you know, just the institution as a whole has shifted so much from where it was, but you can't, you can't look at, I mean, what, what was Harvard, you know, founded on diversity and equality for all? No, was, was, you know, UVA was started by Jefferson, who now all the progressives hate. So, I mean, are you just going to tear down all these schools and start over? I, you know, I think that's the only acceptable answer at this point. That's what I'm advocating for. And we should just abolish the whole UNC system. Except for UNC. Except for Wilmington. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Right. That was good. <laughs> yeah, that's good because it was it was only founded like fifty years ago. <laughs> and I mean, and someone that lives in Wilmington, um, yeah, it's the school has to stay there. All right, it's it, it keeps me entertained. To look at mugshots on the weekends, <laughs> or I should say Sunday after after a weekend, looking at all the mugshots. After after a weekend, I'm sure it provides tons, tons of entertainment, um, just like this, this podcast, which is slowly drawing to an end, unfortunately. But, you know, we'll always be back again next week. Is there anything else we need to, to need to make sure we say tonight, Tyler? No, I think I think we're good. I'm good. You're good. I'm OK, good. if you're good, I'm good. And we'll be good again next week. We will see you again the same time, relatively speaking, as we film and record almost live here on the Tavern Boys podcast. I'll see you next week, Tyler. See you, man.